Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Very happy to have you as we get ready to go through the next hour plus talking about soccer in America and elsewhere. It should be a very good time. Lined up on this show, Wes Berdine from NorthernPitch.com, believe formerly of the Denord Football Podcast. He's going to join us to talk about this battle that seems to be shaking out between Minneapolis and St. Paul over the right to build a stadium for Minnesota United Football Club which is slated to join MLS in the next couple of years. Lots and lots of drama and subtext and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff happening up there in Minnesota, and Wes will fill us in on all of it. He's got an excellent piece over at northernpitch.com that is a must-read if you try to keep track of what's going on with, um, with Minnesota United, which, again, had a deadline, it passed, there's no stadium deal, et cetera, et cetera. Lots and lots to unpack there. Uh, we will take your phone calls later on in the show, as is the usual plan. Whatever's on your mind, we've got Gold Cup coming up tomorrow. By the way, Miguel Herrera, none too happy that Mexico's being made to fly with people jammed into an airplane and something, something, something. We draw the most fans. We should we deserve more consideration. Because what CONCACAF needs to do right now, apparently, is give Mexico more uh, preferential treatment because they didn't give them enough in that last game against Costa Rica. They need to give them more preferential treatment. Yeah. Let's dive straight into the headlines before we grab West to talk about Minnesota United. Seattle Sounders winger Marco Papa arrested on DUI charges early Sunday morning. He will go through the league substance abuse and behavioral health uh, assessment that's um, done by doctors at the league's behest. He is unavailable to play until that assessment is done. Uh, so not good news for Seattle when it comes to their uh, push forward after a, a bad stretch here, obviously related to the, to the absences of Dempsey and, and Martins. And now Marco Papa could be out for at least one game. We'll see. He's not going to travel. I believe Montreal's next on the schedule for Seattle. He won't travel there, which, um, you know, not only does he need to go through the substance abuse and behavioral health process, but uh, more than likely he would not be able to travel to Canada with that pending charge anyway. Big news when it comes to FIFA 20, uh, the, is it 2017 that's coming out next or 2016? 20, how does that work? 2016, right? Yeah. FIFA 2016 coming out very shortly uh, later this summer. Alex Morgan and Christine Sinclair become the first women to appear on the cover of the video game. Alex Morgan, obviously, on the U.S. version alongside Lionel Messi. Christine Sinclair also sharing cover space with Messi on the Canadian version. Uh, some discussion over the women being involved in the game in terms of national teams. And uh, obviously, the reaction to that was mostly positive with a couple of misogynistic holdouts. This is another step forward. Here's the uh, statement from Morgan. It is an incredible honor to be one of the first women featured on the cover of EA Sports FIFA. I know people all over the world play this game, and I'm really excited that FIFA 16 is putting such an important spotlight on women's soccer. And now to share the cover with today's greatest player is surreal. Uh, there's, there's also this statement from Christine Sinclair, Canadian great. This year's World Cup showcased the unbelievable talent and skill in women's soccer. 
I'm thrilled that EA Sports is celebrating female athletes in FIFA 16. To be featured in the game and to promote women's soccer with Alex is really special and another exciting step for women in women in sports. The game will be released on September 22nd, 2015. That is the 2016 version of FIFA. I'd love to get a copy myself, but since I don't actually have a system on which to play it, probably pointless to get a copy. Yeah. Sporting Kansas City completed a rumored trade, a Mobia Kugo joining the club from Orlando City Soccer Club in return for Servando Carrasco. This is depth and uh, defensive stability for Sporting Kansas City. Meanwhile, Orlando City gets rid of uh, Kugo's hefty salary of about 300000 um, while they also have uh, several players. Aguida and, and Saren has stepped up to fill the, gas, the gap uh, between... Uh, the midfield and the defensive back line for for Orlando and uh, Kuga came became surplus to requirements, especially at his salary level. I think Sporting will be a good home for Akugo, who is a very talented player and deserves an opportunity to show off that talent in a place that is um, functional for one thing. Sorry, Philadelphia, and also um, uh, values his abilities. In Russia, bad news out of Russia. This is all leading to the 2018 World Cup, of course. Hulk. The Brazilian striker says that racism is rampant and happens at almost every game in Russia. This, again, is part of the discussion heading into a World Cup and Confederations Cup in two years' time that was awarded by FIFA despite concerns over not only this, but also stadium construction and uh, and, and funding the tournament. Uh, Russia has already cut back on pretty much every hotel that was planned for 2018. There was also a, uh, a, a report of a, an incident between Spartak and Ufa. I'm going to say Ufa fans um, in the season opener. Emmanuel Frimpong, formerly of Arsenal, he is playing for FC Ufa in, uh, in, in Russia and was racially abused. He then turned to the crowd, showed his middle finger, and was sent off for his trouble. Now, there's an excellent piece on this incident specifically, but also on the general attitude about racism in Russia at footballgrad.com that I highly suggest you read. It'll give you some background. There seems to be an undercurrent of Russian football fans who understand how, how terrible this is and how it needs to be addressed. But, of course, we know that, that when fans go to the stadiums, the most uh, vociferous are always the worst. And they seem to be dragging down Russia at this point, which obviously clearly has an issue with racism that needs to be addressed. There seems to be some fear in Russia that FIFA could take away the 2018 World Cup. I find that very unlikely, although I understand their fear. FIFA says they will investigate a BBC report that says African players as young as 16 years old are being illegally trafficked to Asia, where they are being forced to sign contracts and then not being paid for those contracts, have forced, uh, being forced to live in um, difficult situations. The FIFA, the world's governing body said it would investigate BBC News report Monday uh, that said they claim soccer players as young as 14 have been illegally trafficked to Asia and forced to sign contract contracts. The investigation found there were six minors still with the Laos-based club Champasak United, which allegedly transported 23 minor, minor players from West Africa to an unregistered football academy in February. Young players said they were forced to sleep on floors and never paid after signing a contract that promised salary and accommodation. A FIFA spokesman told the BBC uh, that the organization was in contact with several member associations and would, quote, assess the matter and safeguard safeguard the issue, the interest of minors. Uh, It's all well and good 
to sanction Barcelona and put down a transfer ban because they signed a 17-year-old kid out from outside of the country, uh, outside of FIFA guidelines. But if you're not uh, if you're not actively looking into the more serious problem of young players being trafficked, uh, trafficked especially out of Africa, then uh, the, that looks ridiculous. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Wes Burdine about the situation in Minnesota. It's gone a little bit under the radar, but it is bubbling up now. What's going on with Minnesota United Stadium situation? Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. So I hit the button wrong. Probably didn't hear my name, but that's okay. You know what it is. We're on Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com and on the line with me via Skype from beautiful Minnesota, Wes Burdine from NorthernPitch.com and uh, MN Nice FC on Twitter. Wes, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. It, it's Yourself? Good. I'm well, except good. for, again, those technical issues. But, you know, sure. whatever. Fat fingers, yeah. it's, a, it's a thing. Yeah. All right, yeah. so, Wes, we're, we've, we've got you here because I read your piece at Northern Pitch on uh, the stadium situation in Minneapolis-St. Paul. And the reason I throw the, the St. Paul in there is because it seems as though St. Paul has taken um, a prominent uh, position in the, I don't know if it's a race, I don't know if it's a... Uh, Somebody well, to be left it, holding it's, the bag. It's become one, certainly. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, again, I think um, for a lot of, of of MLS fans, obviously not in Minnesota, not paying attention to this closely, it's sort of this is co- sort of drifted into the background here. What's going on right at the moment? Well, right at the moment, um, no one really knows. Um, what we what we know is that we've got um, uh, a few deadlines coming up. We know that MLS is coming to town right after the All Star Game. And that they want to inspect this site in St. Paul that uh, is kind of a prime location for a stadium. And, you know, about two months ago, all of us would have said, it's going to happen in Minneapolis. This mm-hmm. is a perfect site. Uh, everything, all systems go. We just need to get, we need to wait for some legislation to happen. And and now things are thrown into chaos. When I talk to people with the team with the with Minneapolis with St. Paul no one seems to actually know what's going on right now which kind of makes it exciting sure. it also makes it you know crazy 
you know, I think it's it's fascinating that um, the leagues, and this is in a general sense. I mean, clearly every every city is different. Every stadium uh, situation is different. The negotiations are different. All of the factors and, and legislatures that are involved. Sometimes there are more important things to get that you have to get done beforehand. Whatever, but MLS has sort of hit this fallow period in getting these things done. Miami has been a bust to this point, although apparently we've got some movement. And meanwhile, there was the Minnesota United announcement and Dr. McGuire on stage, you know, seeming to uh, to be very emotional about this thing. And it yeah. seemed to be very ex- everyone was very excited. Don Garber shows up and then the circus leaves town and, and no one knows exactly what's going on next. There was a talk of a, of a deadline, Wes, and I want to bring us to that because MLS said sure. July 1, something needs to be done. It's July 21st. What was that deadline all about? Um, no one knows. I'm, the The best guess that goes around is that uh, July 1st, the first franchise fee check was supposed to be uh, written. Um, but the, the deadline only came up you know, as an afterthought at the March announcement. And, and the, July 1st was less than 100 days after the franchise announcement. And name me another expansion uh, market where the team was supposed to have the stadium completely lined up uh, within 100 days, especially with only uh, one month of the state legislature actually in session. It, it, it was kind of a, a crazy thing. And I think MLS got to the point where they realized that, you know, they, they're not going to walk on Minneapolis because you've got billionaires offering to pay for the stadium themselves. Uh, so they needed to kind of walk the, walk it back a little bit. And so they, they had this out with St. Paul. And so now they, they said they didn't extend the deadline. They're just checking out the St. Paul thing, which I don't know what, what it is, if not extending the deadline, but. Here we are. Is this, I mean, okay, first of all, one of the factors involved, if I understand it correctly, is that the the mayors of each respective city have very different attitudes about bringing the stadium to their to their towns. And then, so so I guess give me sort of a, a brief checklist or a brief um, comparison of, of the pros and cons for each one. I mean, I, I don't know if it boils down to that at all. It's certainly about political will more than anything else, but... Is St. Paul better in one regard and not in another? Minneapolis, obviously, the more, uh, you know, the, the larger of the two, I suppose, is a factor. I don't know. What what are the factors here? Yeah, uh, uh, Minneapolis is the cool site. It is. It's hip. It's right next to, to the baseball stadium. It's right on the light rail. Um, it, it's right on the, the, the light rail that's about to be built toward, toward the suburbs. Uh, and... In general, Minneapolis is is viewed by people as the hip city. St. Paul is kind of it's Garrison Keillor land, you know, <laughs> and so so you've got the the replacements in Minneapolis and Garrison Keillor in St. Paul, which is which is you know unfair and not really true, but but at least it, it's the way people go. Uh, and um, Minneapolis also has a beautiful skyline. Um, it, it's it's an amazing part of town. Uh, it's going to be part of this. Uh, Brand new farmers market uh, built there, and so it, it's kind of you know for someone like me, I'm a Minneapolis guy. Uh, you know, it's this kind of beautiful progressive dream of of, of being able to bike down to the stadium, um, and the St. Paul site is you know 
I think actually probably better. It's it's a little bit bigger um, because the Minneapolis site would have to be it would the stadium would be kind of you know right in between two roads, and so it wouldn't be you wouldn't get the footprint that you would really dream of. The St. Paul site is bigger, but it's also right on the light rail, right between the two cities. Um, it's right in between the the light rail and I ninety four, which is the main east west highway. Um, there's also a rapid transit uh, bus going in right right by it. So it's right at this nexus of all these uh, community or all, all these commuter arteries, and so. And you also get 140,000 people passing by that area every day on the highway, let alone the, the light rail. So it's a perfect spot. It's a spot that needs some sort of renovation. And it's also within two miles of five colleges. Mm-hmm. That's, so the, demographically, it sounds like, at least based on what you wrote, that the St. Paul site has a lot of advantages. It does. Yeah. And it's also in, in a spot that is, it's very economically and racially diverse. Um, where the, the Minneapolis site is, is more a little bit uh, off in its own downtown type area. Not too many people will live within, you know, 10 blocks of it. Well, that sounds, I mean, that sounds interesting. I, I would think that uh, that would be intriguing to MLS. Now, give me a sense of what you make of, is, is this, is the team legitimately just taking what is available when they talk to St. Paul? Are they leveraging St. Uh, Minneapolis off of St. Paul? Are, how how involved is MLS at this point? And, and imagine that there's got to be some pressure from from uh, from New York. I the best I can tell is that MLS isn't talking to anyone. Uh, it, it the MLS has had this whole weird role here where you know it seemed like they were doing uh, some bad cop to United's good cop with the whole July first deadline, but. I never got the sense from any talking to anyone with the team that MLS was coordinating the bad cop, good cop. So they were just being bad, uh, bad cop. Um, but the St. Paul Minneapolis thing, the team is really anxious to, and, and St. Paul as well, really anxious to not have a St. Paul versus Minneapolis war because St. Paul knows that they always get leveraged and then the, whoever it is ends up going to Minneapolis and they're tired of uh, being, you know, left at the altar. And, and so, everyone's trying to be pretty quiet about it. But the fact is we're at a point where the two are being leveraged with one another. Last Thursday, Dr. McGuire, the owner of, of Minnesota United met with uh, the St. Paul area chamber of commerce. And then the next day he met with the Minneapolis uh, uh, council and mayor working group to talk about the stadium. So it is unfortunately happening, but I, I do think that the St. Paul site is real because there is a real tangible avenue toward getting some property tax relief there whereas min in minneapolis they have to wait until march until the state legislature is uh convened again i mean that, that seems like a pretty basic oversight in all of this and it, it sort of happened in florida orlando city ended up finding a a workaround to their issue with the legislature I, there have been other situations where where these things have, have come up against either deadlines or recess and, and it's been left on the table why was this not why was this not addressed before before they adjourned and then if that's just a matter of the lack of political will that i mentioned before why would mls or anybody else sort of hold 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 minnesota united to some standard that just simply cannot be met 
I mean, you're asking the question that that can't be answered. <laughs> I can't, I can't answer that because it is, it is simply crazy. It, MLS has been through this before. Uh, why MLS doesn't have a person who is their stadium liaison, who when they have an expansion side goes to that team and starts helping them plan uh, their what, however they're going to get the funding or just the in our case the property tax relief. Why they don't have someone to help? Uh, walk these teams through those steps. I don't know that that seemed that would be something I would have done ages ago after watching what happened in DC and, and Miami. Uh, so yeah, you're asking the, the million dollar question uh, because, and, and why they're even putting it on, you know, if the team announces that they have a St. Paul stadium, let's say October, uh, uh, MLS will be excited why they couldn't wait till March. Well, do, I don't know if they have a loan shark they have to pay or something like that, but they, <laughs> they need this now. And, and they're, and it sounds like they're, they're using uh, Sacramento as a, Oh, well, we've got Sacramento over here. We could, we could always walk over to Sacramento. Yeah. And, and, you know, Sacramento by all, by all means, they should be an, an MLS franchise, but, the, but why MLS would be, Using such short-term uh, uh, outlook to to decide their their f- future franchises makes no sense. If you want Sacramento, then go with Sacramento. But you all know that you need Minneapolis. It's a big TV market. It's uh, it's the type of city where you know you can succeed. It's also a huge you know blank spot on your map. So so why are I, I don't know. It, th- these are the questions that fans here ask each other all the time. I, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm confused. I think a lot of people are confused. It seems again that MLS has used these events to be uh, a push for these stadium efforts, and that hasn't come off. And now I think the league looks worse for it now that they've gone to Minnesota and held an event, and things are kind of mired. And now, even if St. Paul comes through. That wasn't the original plan. That wasn't the original right. thought. Uh, Miami, they, they show up, they have a big to-do, David Beckham and, and Don Garver speak, and then what? Nothing happens for, for almost two years. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, it's, it's taken billionaires who are already building stadiums for other sports to kind of get these things done. Or Sacramento, yeah. who for, you know, uh, for, for a variety of reasons has just the perfect recipe for, for all of that will. All right. So give me a sense of, Oh, man, I I don't know where to go with this necessarily, Wes. Because I look, I I guess just bottom line here, just to cut through all of the nonsense, something gets done, right? Yeah, the, there is no way a stadium doesn't get built, and I I mean I have a hard time believing that MLS would walk away from a city that has a team that is selling out every game, and they've got a, a several a group of rich people who are going to finance a stadium privately. Uh, if, if MLS would walk away from that just because they can't do it within, you know, five months or two months, uh, then, you know, I think we should all reconsider uh, whether or not we should watch this league and who's sure. running the show. Um, it, it will happen. I think at this point, as I wrote on Northern pitch uh, yesterday, I think at this point, St. Paul has the pole position. It's a great site. It'll be really beautiful. It'll be really accessible. And, uh, and I think that, you know, a, a couple of years from now, when the first kick of, uh, Minnesota in MLS, 
you know, we'll look back at this and, and chuckle, but, but yeah, it, it's going to happen. I, I'm not very worried about it. And, and I'm really just, I want to get through all this because I, I just want a stadium. I don't even care about MLS. I just want that beautiful stadium. Sure. I, the way I feel when I walk in Sporting Park and I go visit right. there, I, I want that feeling for myself. And I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us. I'm going to walk us all the way, maybe back to the decision on the part of Doctor McGuire and his uh, his partners yeah. and everybody else to make this move. But before we get to that, uh, as you said, you just want a stadium. I, I just want to look at uh, again the some of the elements that go into getting the deal done, and, and you've got a list here. Um, which is from an email from a St. Paul project manager su- suggesting mm-hmm. to um, some people here that what what St. Paul could do in order to get this done. Uh, the city could lead a, a land assembly efforts, uh, provide tax increment something, whatever that means. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the tax relief areas that, that lots of cities do. Uh, lead efforts to, to rezone it, uh, support sales tax exemption for the stadium construction, property tax exemption for the stadium site. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. I am not a stadium financing expert. Okay, <laughs> I go to field yeah. of schemes and get both sides. Uh, you know, the people who want the stadium because hey, it'd be great. Let's have some soccer, and the people who say that every stadium deal is bad for the city. In this particular case, and I guess in general terms, do you do you understand why it's necessary for for them to get these these concessions, uh, specifically the yeah. tax concessions? Yeah, so the the two things that they were asking from from Minneapolis, and and we don't know exactly what they'll ask from from St. Paul, but it will likely be similar, is that they're going to build the stadium for a, you know at least 120 million themselves. They're going to pay for that, and then they want a one time tax relief on the construction materials, which will be uh, three to four million dollars uh, tax exempt, which is pretty standard. I don't think they'll have any trouble with that. The real hard part is that. They would then want, uh, for a certain amount of time, maybe 20 years, uh, they want to cap the property tax on the site in Minneapolis, which currently is 300, brings in $350,000 a year for Minneapolis. And, you know, once they build the stadium, it could be about, who knows, 5 million. And so that's a lot of property tax to be paying every year, considering it's more than, uh, the basic salary cap. Of MLS, sure, and and so what they want to do is it's not about uh, the one-time money thing. They want to make sure that the team is viable every year and can get in the black quicker. And so that's why they're asking for it. Minneapolis balked because they believe that the apocalyptic wasteland that they want to build this on is going to somehow generously, uh, you know, uh, get developed. Right. Um, the easy part with St. Paul uh, that, that doesn't quite show up in the, the email that I, I put there is that the land they want to build, build on is owned by this council, the Metropolitan Council, um, which is a government entity, and it's already tax-free. There's no taxes being collected on this spot, and there hasn't been for 50 years or something. So it'll be very easy for St. Paul to and Met Council to transfer that tax-free status over to the new stadium. Um, and that happens by magical government ways that I, I still don't quite understand, but several right. people have assured me that there's an easy mechanism to do something like that or or to keep property tax there very cheap. Okay, uh, that, that all makes sense. Let's, let's walk back a bit here when it comes to Minnesota United because, you know, MLS has done things uh, differently in different towns. Clearly in, in Atlanta, 
they did not see, and, and I know that the Silverbacks have, have ownership issues and, and budget issues anyway, but they did not see a path to bringing the Silverbacks into MLS. They went with Arthur Blank. Remains yep. to be seen if Arthur Blank does the right thing and somehow, um, you know, he brings in the Silverbacks organization or buys the name or, or, or something. I'm mean, clearly they've gone with a different name already, but yeah. there, there, there's something there. In this case, the league and, and the league saw what we all, we've all seen as a well-run organization under Bill McGuire, uh, a team that does well in the stands despite, you know, a lot of those handicaps that come with being second division and, and the stadium and everything else and decided that was the way to go. Why did Bill McGuire and Minnesota United decide MLS was the path for them? Because there's certainly this, uh, this other alternative movement, which is NASL is more free. We can do what we want. We can spend what we want. Maybe yeah. that's the future. If they were in a vacuum every day of the week, Minnesota would stay in NASL. Um, the, the, the team, Dr. McGuire and co were brought kind of kicking and screaming because they view it as, you know, we can spend a hundred million dollars for what? Like, okay, yes, you get more TV, you know. Um, they, they had been looking to build a stadium in the city for their NASL team. And it was actually in pretty recent history that they finally said, okay, I guess we have to go, uh, MLS. And that, that was for, I gather, a couple of reasons. Um, one is that they had a hard time getting people to jump on the wagon of, uh, you know, whether it be sit, uh, government officials or additional investors of building a stadium for a second division, uh, soccer team. The other was that, uh, the, the elephant in the room was the uh, giant Viking stadium right. that Ziggy Wilf wanted to put a soccer team in there. And, uh, and so MLS could come in any time and just put a soccer team in the Viking stadium. And then, you know, uh, as much as I love Minnesota United, I'm not sure it could have survived something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they knew that, you know, the writing was on the wall. We have to go MLS. Um, and so there, there was, that was a little bit kicking and screaming. And then they also, you know, I think started to warm up to the various aspects uh, of it. You know, MLS certainly, uh, I'm a fan of both leagues, uh, but when I look at it, MLS has an amazing stability. I know where it's going to be approximately 10 years from now. And NASL, I'm not completely sure. And so, yeah, they, they decided to go with that. And it was very late you know, this past winter, basically, when both MLS and Minnesota United decided to commit to one another and, and put a ring on it. And and that's partially why you had no legislature time and everything was so haphazard because, you know, until until the league came in and told everyone in Minnesota that the Vikings are no longer in consideration, uh, none of these officials would take uh, Minnesota United seriously. Mm. A lot of the officials didn't even know who Minnesota United were, and and so it took took that for Minnesota to finally be able to say, "Look, let's start looking. Let's start looking at stadium bills and and things like that." And so the whole thing came together really, really uh, sloppily. Yeah, I, you know, it, it makes sense, I, and certainly we had heard that uh, for the most part, Minnesota United was happy to be at NESL. Uh, but as you said, there was a threat there with the Vikings ownership and uh, the potential for another team. I-, I guess moving forward, then the question is, and, and this is, you know, MLS is not a magic bullet. It, certainly in the beginning, 
um, if you do it right, there can be all of that enthusiasm. We've seen lots of doubt over Atlanta. They've managed to sell, I don't know, 15,000 season tickets or whatever it is. Yeah. And this is, this is clearly a, a slightly different process, especially with the stadium uh, on yet, as of yet unresolved. But what is the, what is the response been to the, to the initial announcement and whether or not there's been any momentum since? Yeah, well, the team has sold out every every game up in they play in a suburb up in Blaine. Um, every game since the MLS announcement, so every game this year, which which means you know uh, nine nine thousand to ninety four hundred um, uh, people at every game, which which means you know the the stadium has a lot of standing room, and you're you're kind of peering over people's shoulders to watch the game. So it's been overwhelming. Uh, the response, the the season tickets. Uh, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but season tickets basically went. The base went from a thousand to four four thousand or something like that, and they expect next year it'll be six thousand. And um and so the response has been uh amazing, and I think it it also has finally been a little bit of a a revelation to the team, which is that um you know. You can put all this money marketing and building really solid Minnesota United in the NASL, um, but there's that certain extra something that playing in the top division brings, and it brings lots of people out of the woodwork. It'll it'll start to convert these kind of guys who only otherwise would be watching Arsenal on Saturday mornings, and and so it has meant quite a bit, and and it me- means that. Um, people like St. Paul are really excited about having a stadium downtown. Lots of moving parts in Minnesota. Uh, clearly, the development with St. Paul could could be a positive. Again, I don't, I don't know. Um, it, it seems like everybody's just being really nice, and they don't want to offend anybody else. And as you said, St. Paul no, used to be that is that is Minnesota. That's what we do. <laughs> they're be, they're used to being used as leverage, and they don't want to they don't want to fall into that trap again. Uh, you you expect it to get done. I mean, I, I guess if you were going to bet on one of these horses, uh, you expect it to be the St. Paul site, Wes. And then um, in the end, I mean, could this be a situation, and we'll just put a bow on it here, where, uh, you know, it's sort of, they sort of fall backwards into a better situation in the end? Yes. Yeah, I think I think so. I think that's very much the, the case. And I, I up until a month ago, up until a week ago, I would have, vehemently said that this Minneapolis site is absolutely perfect. They need to build there. And then as this St. Paul site, which has been around, everyone has known it could be a stadium site. As it's kind of come out and more, we've talked about it more, I'm suddenly finding myself thinking the unthinkable and and listening to Garrison Keillor and and thinking this St. Paul site actually could be be even better, Um, not just for the team financially, but, um, you know, to build – that perfect stadium that that I kind of dream about uh, that that I think actually could happen in this case, but you know at this point everything seems to change uh, uh, week to week, and so we'll see. Maybe Minneapolis can pull a, a rabbit out of its hat, but but St. Paul is the only one right now who has a clear path that they can offer to building the stadium. And with the um, with the situation where one owner is or one owner, one mayor is is, is against the idea of a stadium in her city and the other mayor is basically yes please come come now (laughs) yeah that's that's pretty much it um you know the minneapolis mayor mayor hodges it's a weak mayoral system so she doesn't have a ton of power 
But in this case, by, by even before seeing the proposal saying, hell no, um, it, it took a lot of wind out of the sails. And then when Mayor Coleman came in and literally in one of his emails, he said, hell yes. Um, it, it's completely different. And, and Mayor Coleman in St. Paul has, has a lot more power as a mayor, but he's also been around a lot longer. He knows the people with Minnesota. Um, he's also, you know, he was at the Minnesota United name unveiling. Um, and I remember talking to him briefly then and he, uh, his kids play, play soccer or did play soccer. And he's a soccer fan. You know, he's not a, a diehard uh, soccer fan, but he is excited about this idea. And I mean, you, you want to go to prom with, with someone who actually wants to go to prom with you. And so that, that I think, uh, goes a long way in this case absolutely and uh whether or not again whether or not saint paul is the more attractive of the two uh you know um in an unbiased assessment uh certainly if they're willing to to step up and, and make it happen that could be big for minnesota united west burdine on the line from northernpitch.com go read his piece which outlines the current state of the are we going with what are we going with MSP soccer wars with a Z? Is that yeah, going? yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, that's what we're going with. There you go, MSP soccer wars with a Z. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Wes, appreciate the time of the insight. Fantastic, thank you so much. Thanks. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get the phone lines open. We'll talk to you about that and anything else that's on your mind. Soccer morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Stay right there. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are, Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. Phone lines are open, 646-832-3909 is the phone number. What do you make of all that stadium stuff? I mean, here's the thing about Minnesota United and the expansion plans in Minnesota. There is a St. Paul. There's another city. There's a town willing to step up and say, hey, we've got a site too. We can give you this, this, and this. We don't need to wait until March, blah, 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 blah. That's not the case. In a lot of places, you don't get to play one municipality off of another municipality. So in that way, 
Minnesota United has an advantage. And I think it'll happen. I, mean, I think it'll happen. I mean, Wes knows, and he's confident. Go with that. And I think it'll be a success, by the way. I, I mean, no, I don't know that that's necessarily down to MLS if we should just give them all the credit. I mean, clearly you have a, a smart, committed ownership group there in Minnesota. And you have a group of fans who are backing that team. They seem to be building some momentum. If it is a success, it's almost in spite of MLS because MLS came into town like a bull in a china shop, busted up the place with their announcement, hey, everybody, it's exciting, blah, 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 and then took off and left Minnesota United there to hold a bag. Yeah, why doesn't MLS have a stadium fixer? Why don't they have an on-retainer? Maybe they do, we just don't know. But if Wes doesn't know about it, I don't think I, I don't I don't think it exists. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. I don't know if anybody is tracking the Didier Drogba situation, but it looks like we're headed for some kind of problem here. Possibly, maybe. It's either a problem or he walks away. The story out of Montreal says that Didier Drogba is very interested in playing for the Montreal Impact. Now this makes sense for a lot of reasons, but not the least of them cultural, at least language-wise. He, uh, he is a native French speaker, and Montreal is a Francophone city, etc., etc. I mean, that's a very simple notion of why he might like Montreal, but he's been talking to Montreal. And the problem seems to be that the Chicago Fire would also like to sign Didier Drogba, and they hold the discovery rights on him. Now, if Didier Drogba doesn't want to play in Chicago... Chicago really doesn't have a lot of leverage. They should just flip those that discovery right to Montreal for a song. But this being MLS, you wonder if that would happen. And you wonder if this whole thing will fall apart, crumble, because Chicago is going to be throwing a hissy fit over the fact that Didier Drogba doesn't want to play there. He wants to play in Montreal. And remember, it's probably still fresh in the fire uh, executive staff's mind that Jermaine Jones ended up in, in New England rather than Chicago last year. And that made a huge difference. I mean, New England used the momentum from the Jermaine Jones signing to go all the way to the MLS Cup final. While Chicago was uh, not much of a fire at all. And the system is to blame here. So you throw all of your criticism at MLS. A system that allows Chicago to hold Didier Drogba ransom from Montreal even though he doesn't want to play in Chicago. At least that's the report. Again, if that's the way this thing comes down, then damn it. Come on, MLS. And and you know what? But here's the other thing, and this is the flip side of it. And I'm not saying this is good, but this is why MLS allows itself the freedom to fix the rules and change the rules and flop the rules manipulate the world. It's like Play-Doh. Because they can say, hey, Chicago, you're not going to get him. Trade him to Montreal and we'll give you something else. Something. I don't know. I mean, that, that you could you could imagine that, right? Because if the league wants Didier Drogba in MLS, then they should get out of the way. They should help Chicago get out of the way. But then maybe the league wants Didier Drogba in Chicago and not Montreal because Chicago needs more of a boost than Montreal. Certainly, it's a bigger market. It's an American market, and let's be honest about this. It seems pretty clear that for the most part, MLS values its American markets over its Canadian markets, perhaps unfairly. So if MLS wants 
Do they drug on Chicago? Maybe they start to strong on Montreal. And that's not cool either. Again, especially if Didier Drogba wants to play in Montreal and not Chicago. Because now you, you strong, you strong on Chicago. Or, I'm sorry, Montreal. Getting my cities confused. You strong on Montreal to get, uh, to, to make it so that Didier Drogba ends up in Chicago, except Didier Drogba walks away from the table because he doesn't want to play in Chicago. They don't speak French in Chicago. Well, maybe not, maybe some, but not a lot and not across whatever. You know what I'm trying to say here. 646-832-3909. The more phone calls we get, the longer the show goes. It's a pretty basic formula there. If you guys want to get in on Didier Drogba, Minnesota United, anything I hit on in the news this morning, U.S. Open Cup today. Juan Vieira, by the way, says, Chicharito to Chicago and everything is all well. <laughs> yeah. Except Chicharito apparently is going to get a shot to play at Manchester United. We'll see how that goes. Today, the Houston Dynamo, Sporting Kansas City, Sporting Park, U.S. Open Cup. We are in the, whoop, what round are we in? We are in the semi, no, sorry, the quarterfinal round. I knew that. No. Yeah, the quarterfinal round. Eight teams remaining. Los Angeles Galaxy already knocked out by the by RSL last week. So RSL is into the semis. Philadelphia and, and New York play today, but that game's going to be a joke. Because that game's happening at like think like something like four o'clock Eastern time. Because they want to be able to play a friendly afterwards. The Red Bulls have a friendly today. Is that right? And if you remember the controversy over this. The Philadelphia Union had their own friendly last week against Bournemouth. But they scheduled, they, they created their summer schedule knowing that they might be playing in the U.S. Open Cup this week and, and therefore having a clear schedule. The Red Bulls went ahead and scheduled a game knowing it was possible they'd be in the U.S. Open Cup. Then, when it came to negotiating a fix to this problem, Philadelphia wanted to get the home field advantage from New York for having for New York having scheduled poorly. Which I don't blame them at all. I really don't. Mike on Twitter, New York should have had to forfeit the home field advantage. Terrible. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I'm at, I'm at Red Bulls the Red Bulls website. And they are they are um promoting the Open Cup game. I don't see the friendly. I don't even know who the friendly is. <clears throat> Washington. Is that, does it even involve the Red Bulls? Is it, or is it one of these ICC hosting deals? I don't even know. Washington, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, Jason? What's How's going it on, going? Man? What's going on? It's going well. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this Minnesota thing. All right. Um, I'm, I'm curious because I, I, think, I think I know the answer to this. But I don't think that Major League Soccer will ever walk away from Minnesota United only because, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there a national sales center in Minnesota? It is. Believe it is, yes. So they, they will not allow this to fit. They I, I, as crazy as this sounds, I really believe that they won't, they won't walk away from Minnesota United just because of that, just because of that one thing. They can't have a business fail in Minnesota if one of their major business arms is in Minnesota. I don't know if that, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I mean, I, lots of outsourcing happens around the world, Washington. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a relationship or a, a major presence in that town. I mean, I guess. 
Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I do think it has something to do with it. And you know, one, one thing that one thing you mentioned with the, the, the guest you had on earlier, and, and uh, it was kind of an epiphany to me. Why doesn't MLS have like a, uh, a liaison that helps franchise? I mean, I know NYCFC could use it. <laughs> Why, you know, to help with stadium deals and, and navigate through city politics and you know things like that. Why don't they have that? That that's genius. I don't know. I mean, I, but again, maybe there is somebody within the organization whose job that is. Maybe there's somebody that's been camped in Minnesota for the past four months doing that. I don't, I don't know. We don't have any confirmation positively or negatively, but it doesn't seem that way. And as I said, if anybody would know, it's a guy like Wes Berdine who's on top of this, who, is, uh, who has connections to Minnesota United as an organization and would be able to hear about anybody stepping in to be, you know, we're talking about, um, like the wolf from from Pulp Fiction, only for stadiums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you one one last thing here, uh, just because I, I always think I, I've heard about players wanting to play like in Toronto or Montreal, and then and then playing in another MLS franchise. Like uh, did he end up by Montreal and Chicago situation right now? This keeps happening where the player wants to play in a Canadian team and the Canadian team wants them, then they end up playing in an American team. How often do you think that's going to happen before the Canadians decide, you know what, that's it, we need to start making our own league? Do you, well, they are going to make their own league, but it's obviously not going to be first division. Do you, do you have an example? Because I don't recall this happening before. I, you know, I, I, I thought, oh, God, I, you know, I, I had it on You don't have an example, because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't recall this happening before. I mean, I, I, I recall there maybe being a mention of a Montreal. I don't know. I mean, it's tough to know with these rumors, Washington. You may be right. There may be an example, but I, if I don't have one, it's tough for me to speak to this. Canada probably should have its own first division, but let's remember that you know the United States needed Canada as much as the Canada needed the United States. We, we, there's only so much enthusiasm for the sport that could push the league forward in a way that then becomes the you know the positive. For the positive forward movement that kind of sort of takes care of itself. Basically, what I'm saying is MLS reached a point where it was clear that they needed to go into Canada and get some of that enthusiasm as part of their league in order, they, in order for them to move forward. And again, Toronto was a game changer for MLS in 2007. So I, I, I don't know if I'm on board with the Canada needs its own first division thing, but I can, I can understand why they might want one. And again, they are starting a league. I don't know where it's going to fall in the, the hierarchy, but it's not going to be first division. One last thing. I really do think that where the player wants to play should be where they end up playing. Because if they and if Major League Soccer puts them somewhere else, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to show on the field. I, I really do believe that. If Didier wants to play in Montreal, he should be allowed to play well, in I, Montreal. I don't, think, I don't think MLS is generally in the business of directing players to one place or another. And... We've seen in the past. Look, I, I think. Well, the, didn't you just mention right before I got on the call? You mentioned something about Jermaine Jones and ending up in New England. Yeah, but I think I, like I, I, I don't know that Jermaine Jones. Okay, I'll go back to go back and look, but I don't recall if Jermaine Jones had a out and out preference for either one of those towns. I think he's got family in Chicago, and I think I think New England was offering more money, and I think the the, the essentially what it came down to was the reason for the blind draw was because there was no clear, I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm wrong about this, Washington. You're, you're right, though. I mean, well, MLS needs to step back and let players 
But again, that's that's part of controlling the market. To and me, that's why to me, Drogba right. playing to, to me, Drogba playing in Montreal makes him uh, makes as much sense as DeSantos playing in Los Angeles. Yes, I mean, if, absolutely. It, it's it's crazy if you take DeSantos and put him in in you know Chicago or in in Columbus or something like that, that wouldn't make any sense to me. Playing in Los Angeles, that's that's perfect right there for him. Uh, the Diddy drama in Montreal just makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you 100. percent I appreciate the call, Washington. Thanks a lot. Take man. care. There goes uh, Washington up in NYC. Always good to talk to him. Let's uh, talk to Kyle in Delaware, who wants to talk about uh, USA Jamaica. By the way, just, Kyle, before you get going, so the Red Bulls play Philadelphia this afternoon. Then there's a, a Fiorentina-PSG game tonight at 8.30 at RBA. And then tomorrow the Red Bulls play Chelsea. So that's your schedule congestion there in Jersey. Kyle, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Appreciate Love the show, man. Appreciate it. Hey, uh question for you i'm hoping you can uh, put my nerves at at ease here but uh i'm looking at the u.s jamaica game and and i really think it's kind of a an upset possibly waiting to happen you know the u.s really struggled with teams who had some pace and when the midfield would turn the ball over uh the quick counter they really struggled with obviously against cuba you're playing a team that you know they were they were down a few men and and they just pretty much had a hard time getting on the ball, and and I kind of throw that one out the scrap heap, and uh, I'm really concerned about that back line against Jamaica. What are your thoughts? I think you have a right to be concerned, <laughs> Kyle. I think it's I think it's fair to be concerned. I think we're going to know in the first 20 minutes what the U.S. posture is and whether or not they have the sharpness to stay on the ball. Because as you said, it all comes down to the to the turnovers, right? If you don't turn the ball over in midfield, or you manage to stay organized. And track back at the you know in, in in numbers that are that are capable of slowing down a Jamaican attack. Let's you know uh, you can get a counter out of a turnover. You can certainly get a counter um, out of the United States pushing forward in numbers, getting a shot, and then an outlet, and boom! Next thing you know, there's three Jamaican players coming at you uh, with one American center back. But I think that they stepped forward confidence wise against Cuba enough. And I don't know that I trust Jamaica's finishing, Kyle. I think that's part of it here. They've got they've got some nice players, but they struggle just as much as anybody else in this tournament has to put away the opportunities they create. That may be the U.S. saving grace, and you're going to need Brad Guzan to make three, four, five saves. I hope you're right, man. hope you're right. I, I do know that Jamaica has a real strong sense of team. Um, you know, battling their way through Copa America, they didn't, you know, they only gave up one goal against you know some pretty good, pretty good teams they placed and uh, played against, and uh, just I'm hoping. You know I already shelled out money for the final, so I'm hoping that, that uh, the U.S. finds a way to to you know, kind of kill off their counterattacks and and pull through. All right, so, so so you wouldn't go to a Jamaica Mexico final? What's what's going on, Kyle? Come on. <laughs> oh, I, unfortunately, if I have to go to that, I will. Okay, but, uh, you don't want you know, to. I know. Much, ra- much rather be there to support the red, white, and blue, man. I know. I understand. I, I think. Look, I think the United States is favorites. I think that they'll. They, I think they will win. But I understand your trepidation. I understand why you have some doubts. I mean, clearly, the United States has not built themselves the type of resume through the course of this tournament that gives you real belief that they're just going to go ahead and take care of business. John in New York, you're on the air. How's it going? Um, I just wanted to say, I mean, with this whole discovery rights thing, I think it's pretty toxic to the league. I feel like there needs to be some sort of system where the teams with the most interest in a player can maybe put in some sort of 
um, you know, bid towards this player in kind of a waiver system. That way, players won't get stuck going to places like, you know, Denver and Colorado, well, you know, that are I mean, struggling what, squads what, because it, it, the league is going to suffer if Drogba doesn't make it. No, no, sure, sure. But what do you mean by by forced? I mean, or, or whatever, or find themselves. I mean, you know, these players aren't necessarily. It's not as though Kevin Doyle signed for for Colorado under duress and and landed there without knowing what he was getting himself into. I mean, he's ultimately Colorado's the team that chased him. Ultimately, they're the ones that put the discovery claim on him and the ones that signed him. I think most most of the time, I'm not saying it's a good process necessarily, John, but I think most of the time, the club that is interested is the club that signs the player. You very rarely have a situation where two clubs are battling over the same player and there needs to be some sort of decision made over who has rights or whether that it, that situation is going to scare off the player. I mean, I, I think that is, I think it's extremely rare and only happens when we're talking about guys like Jermaine Jones, Didier Drogba. I, I don't recall another situation like this. Right. It also just kind of seems like the league is getting to a place where this is going to be happening more and more often. You know, all this talk of Chicharito and, you know, Giovanni Dos Santos, all these guys who are actually considering coming. I feel like this may be something that we're talking about more and more. It's very possible. By the way, wasn't there a change, Trevor? Do you recall this? A change to the to the discovery process for 2015? I think there was. I mean, if I read this, I'll put everybody to sleep. Um, but I'm just, you know, just to go over this, a club may have up to seven unsigned players on its discovery list at any time, and may remove or add players at any time. A club may sign up to six players a year from its discovery list to its senior roster. Uh, blah blah blah. If one or more, here we go. If one or more clubs try to add the same player to their discovery list, the club that filed the claim first will have the priority right to sign the player. Now that's clearly look. If that's Chicago in this Didier Drogba situation, they have priority right. But that doesn't matter if he doesn't want to play in Chicago. If one or more clubs submit a discovery request on the same day, blah blah blah, stay at lower points. If a club attempts to sign a player on a discovery list and is un- unable to do so. The club retains the first right, of, the right of your first refusal to acquire the player in the event he's later signed by the league. That's, I mean, again, it's sort of that, that weird thing where now MLS can go into a negotiation with Didier Drogba and say, we're going to sign you to this, but you may not end up in the club in the city you want. We may send you to Chicago. And again, that's got to be something that, that, as you said, could be, could, could be toxic for a player who may get close and then back off. And I'm sure that's happened before. I mean, let's be honest about it. This has probably happened before, John. You know, I, I'm talking about two different teams going after the same player, but clearly players have preferences. So you're probably, you're probably right. And I've talked myself into your, into your viewpoint, John. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, I mean, I mean, it's almost in fantasy sports they do this with, with waivers where you submit a blind kind of bid on a player. And, you know, if this were the case, Montreal could, could put out something something large that would ensure that they could get the rights to Drogba and Chicago, who maybe is somewhat interested, may not risk it. You know what I mean? If a club wants to sign a player on the discovery list of another team, it may offer the team $50,000 in allocation money in exchange for the right to sign the player. The team with a player on its discovery list will then either, one, have to accept the allocation money and give up the right to sign the player, or two, make the player a genuine, objectively reasonable offer. So, again, I mean, we're in a situation where if Chicago doesn't want to back down, they really don't have to back down. They can hold Montreal over a barrel when it comes to Jogba. I don't know. I mean, I guess what, what, I guess what we've just, just um, determined here is that 
there's there is a mechanism for the rights to be switched over to Montreal. There is a number attached to those rights, but but Chicago may not feel that th- that's enough money for for those rights. And and again, to have the rights be tradable itself is an odd thing. I I don't know, John. I don't know. It's MLS. Yeah, it's, exactly. I think that's the scariest part is when they kind of start playing God and picking who should go where and, you know, oh, this would help Chicago because they're not doing very well. That's kind of dangerous to the market, um, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I appreciate the call, John. Thanks. You got anything else? That's all. Have all a good right. day. You too. There goes John in New York. 646-832-3909. Here for a couple more minutes on Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thanks again to Wes Burdine for joining us to talk about that Minnesota United Stadium situation. It seems as though they have a couple of different horses in the race. And whether or not it's in Minneapolis or St. Paul, someone is going to come out as the winner. In other words, they're going to build a stadium for the soccer club there. MLS will get its way, which is going to Minnesota because that's what they wanted. That's why they, they did the dog and pony show. And, you know, again... Now that we've got Minnesota out of the way, we've discussed what the situation is there, and things could change, and we'll we'll keep tracking, um, we'll keep tracking that that situation. Perhaps tap Wes again in the near future. Um, Miami is moving along as well. Now I don't know that this is anywhere near a done deal. I don't know if this needs approval from a city council or a legislative body of some type. I don't know where we are along the path, 30% done, 40% done, 80% done. I don't understand that part of it because I'm not in Miami. I don't know what this exactly means. But we did last week get word that Beckham and the city of Miami have okayed a plan, agreed on a plan to build a stadium adjacent to Marlins Park in Miami. Now, that's not the site they wanted. Not the first site, not the second site. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. MLS now has already committed. I mean, let's be honest about this. That, they've already committed. Whether or, not, <clears throat> whether or not David Beckham has been granted actual franchise rights, whether or not he's paid any sort of fee, they've already shown up, flown the MLS flag, said they wanted to be in Miami, backed David Beckham to the hilt, waited 18 months for this to get moving. They're committed. If Clore and Beckham come to the table and say, we've got a Miami site, it's not the best, but it's workable, then MLS is in. And I don't know that that guarantees success. And for all the talk about the changes in Miami since the last time MLS was there, there remains some doubt. Now, if they start selling season tickets the way that Atlanta did or the way NYCFC did and they get the numbers, then we can all shut up. I will shut up. have no problem doing that, saying I was wrong. I'm, not that I'm saying MLS, uh, MLS in Miami will fail. I'm saying I have some doubts. Thomas on Twitter, I mean Mike on Twitter, your name is Thomas and you, okay, Mike, whose handle is Thomas19064, Miami isn't about butts and seats anyway, it's a destination city for big name players to increase the league's profile. No, I have no doubt about that, but you got to get at least a modicum of butts in the seats, Mike. 
You can't you can't say, oh, we're look, we're tracking Cristiano Ronaldo and all of these players, and oh look, they're all they all the Latino uh, legends from South America want to come and play here towards the end of their career. Well, but we've got eighteen, you know, but we've got eight thousand people in the state. No, that's not going to work. You have to get a full, a full enough stadium to create the atmosphere to to leverage those big names, those high profile names. They can hang out on South Beach all they want. If you're not getting a stadium full of people to watch them, it doesn't matter. Now. Again, don't know how far along this thing actually is. I won't believe it's going to be done until, I mean, shovels are in the ground. I mean, real progress is being made. It's the same thing with D.C., by the way. Same thing with D.C. United. Because as far along as that thing seems, and remember, we just went through this recent drama where they were talking to to the state of Virginia, probably about leverage. The city steps up and gives them a better deal. Relieves them of some of the burden should there be cost overruns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Despite all of that, we're not there yet. They haven't, they haven't even acquired all of the land necessary to build the D.C. United Stadium. And there's a piece over at Market Watch, which was uh, shared by Pablo Maurer from D- some, uh, MLSist on Twitter, from DCist, from MLSsoccer.com, from Open Wide for Some Soccer here on Backheel. I'm looking at it now. I haven't had a chance to to scan it, really. But essentially, he puts the D.C. United Stadium plan in a top five of worst stadium deals for cities in the country. D.C. United was one of the league's founding franchises. It's been around since 1995. It's called Oversized RFK Home. During that time, it's looking for a new stadium. Unfortunately, Atlanta, D.C. is a bit hard to come by. Blah blah blah. They've he's got the name of the area wrong. It's Buzzards Point, not Buzzard. It's Buzzard Point, not Buzzards Bay. But whatever. Now uh, said 150 million dollars is not unprecedented in MLS terms. He goes through uh, the deal in Commerce City, Colorado, for the Rapids and in Red Bull at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, the bevy of property and sales tax breaks associated with DC United's new stadium, and the fact that a portion of the city's 150 million dollars. Is coming out of a school modernization program is a bit, bit much to swallow. DC United knows that there are big enough towns in Northern Virginia suburbs looking for a deal, a team to make them big time, that it could have its pick if DC didn't pay. It's getting a half price deal on the costliest soccer only stadium in the country because DC doesn't want the team to flee for the suburbs. Okay, I, I don't necessarily think it's as bad as that, and I don't think uh, have, being someone who lives in those suburbs, I don't think there is a suburb that's available to DC United as real leverage. So whatever. But it's out there. The thought is out there. Just worth considering. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Lots of stadium talk today. Um, thank you very much to Wes, Wes Burdine. Go follow him on Twitter at MNNiceFC. That's Minnesota. Yeah. MNNiceFC. Follow him and get his work at northernpitch.com. He's doing a great job of covering soccer in Minnesota. Thanks to everybody who called today as well. Go to backheel.com slash store and get a mug. There's I haven't hold the hell with the mug today. There's the mug. My lighting is all going weird. There's a mug. Go get one of those. Go get a t-shirt. Talk to you guys on Wednesday. Bye. <laughs>